Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. If you're looking for inspiration to dive into storytelling, then look no further than Christy Tucker. She creates engaging learning experiences by integrating relevant stories and scenarios with interactive technology. From self-paced e-learning and branching video scenarios to practicing skills in context and gamification elements. Christy is an expert in storytelling and scenarios. She's a blogger, speaker, e-learning designer, and most of all, a true educator at heart. Listen as she shares her amazing journey from teaching to instructional design. If you're passionate about storytelling, then you'll want to cue into the continuum of storytelling, Gamification in storytelling, story format, building transitions and call to actions, and weaving stories and content together seamlessly. Looking to learn from Christy and work with her? Connect with her through CineadLearning.com or follow her blog at ChristyTucker.com. You can find links to these websites in the show notes. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Christy. Hi, Christy. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Redefine Instruction. I am so glad you're here and I've been so excited about having this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you for this conversation. Yep. Yep. Excited. So, um, Christy, I know you've been working in instructional design for a while. Walk me down how this whole journey started, right? I mean, you, you've had a, you've taught for a while and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of professionals looking to transition from teaching into instructional design. Tell me about this journey. How did it start and where are you at, at this point in your career? So, my career has always been about helping people learn in one way or another. I started as a K-12 music and band teacher. I literally taught um, everything, kindergarten, music through high school, band and music appreciation. And uh, I did that for three years. I was a corporate classroom software trainer for a while where the go around to different businesses and teach people how to use Microsoft Office back in the days when businesses were had computer labs on site and taught people how to do those things on site this is I think not a job that really exists in that way anymore Um, but then I moved to instructional design in 2004 I worked for a for-profit online university and that was there was a really um, neat experience and, and lots of work, um, especially since that university focused on authentic assessment I see. and doing realistic kinds of activities rather than traditional academic essays and multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm. And so even though it was a university, it kind of got me onto this path where we were doing, um, where everything had sort of a story that was woven through the courses. And and that first instructional design experience has sort of shaped all of the things 
that I've done since then, I've done, you know, corporate um, e-learning blended. Um, I, I've, I've been sort of back and forth in academic and corporate over the course of my career. But nowadays, almost all of my work is workplace training. I started my company, Cineant Learning, um, almost 10 years ago now. And so um, that's, I've, I've been independent for, for 10 years. So I work with a range of clients, but it's all workplace training. And in particular, specializing in storytelling and scenario-based learning. Wow, wow, what a journey. Um, and and storytelling and scenario-based learning is is an entire umbrella, entire niche of its own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what intrigued you to specialize in storytelling and scenario-based? So I think part of it is that, frankly, it's the most fun for me to write. You know, I I don't want to write boring training. I don't I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to be bored writing the training and I don't want the learners to be bored. And, and there's, there's some of it that is just that. Um, some of it, as I had mentioned, is that that first instructional design job where I had, where we were creating stories to go through things. So when I was teaching uh, change management, everything was sort of within this frame story of, you know, you're the director of HR and there's two companies merging and how are you going to handle these different challenges during the merge? So, so there was a story in that. And so that was my first experience. And I, I thought all instruction design was going to be that way. And, and then I got other places and learned, Oh no, no, that's not what people are doing. But right, right, um, right. Yeah, so there's, there's a story yeah. to tell in every training. Right. And there's a, there's a scene behind you know, the justification of why we put things out. Um, And you know what, what I find interesting is that you take storytelling to a whole different level, right? A lot of instructional designers kind of get pigeonholed in that scenario based space. Storytelling is so much more than that, right? You've, Mm -hmm. you've, you've, you've taken, yeah, scenario based is one form. There's, there's other forms that are out there. You've also woven the assessment piece into it. So I, I, I want to mm. dive a little bit over there. But before I get there, for people who've never heard what storytelling is, can you briefly mm. define for me what is storytelling? So I think I, I do take a really broad view for storytelling and, and scenario-based learning. Um, you know, sometimes we say scenario and it's really a, a story, but clients and stakeholders might be a little bit more receptive if you call it a scenario-based learning rather than, oh, stories are for kids. Right. And, and a story broadly is something with some sort of characters and some conflict or some challenge and some sort of action or resolution. And I take that at the broadest level possible. Mm-hmm. And where you were talking about being pigeonholed in one thing. And there's definitely sometimes when people think scenario-based learning um, and, and some sources will cite it and think really just the higher end branching scenarios, complex simulations, where it's all encompassing, all encompassing and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And those are great. And I do lo- I do those things 
But I also think there's a lot of value in having the story, just a short story at the very beginning of a course in order to hook the learner's attention. Yes, yes. Or the short little story, you mentioned assessment. And often the thing with new clients who have never done anything with storytelling before, who've only done very traditional click next kind of e-learning. Right. The thing where people are, I can get them to dip their toes in the water is one question, mini scenarios for assessment. Where it is, we'll do a two or three sentence scenario and then multiple choice questions as the, you know, multiple choice options of what would you do in this scenario? Right. And that's the thing that they're willing to start with. And then once we see that, the effects for that, then maybe we can push more on the next project. Right. But, but that's a scenario too. And that's a little story. And it, it doesn't have to be much to be a story. Right. It doesn't have to be lengthy pages of reading. It could, you can get your point across in a paragraph or in three sentences. Um, mm-hmm. And it might resonate with the audience if they are facing the same issue that the character in that story is facing. So exactly. um, you mentioned characters. Um, you mm-hmm. also mentioned the hook. So mm-hmm. that kind of tells me that there are lots of components, ingredients to that story piece, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of ingredients to the recipe. Can you talk a little bit about the different components that go into having that, making that storytelling training or scenario-based learning or even an assessment for that matter? Right. So in scenarios, I, I'll, I'll think about this in, in four C's and, you know, people who have read other things, yes, this, this looks similar to Michael Allen's model and Tom Kuhlman's model and Kathy Moore and Anna Sabraman, which like, right, right. I, I've, I've taken bits and pieces from all of everybody else's things too. Um, so here's sort of where I think of it, of the context, the characters, the challenge and the consequences. Okay. Wow. Context is what's your setting? Because we know in workplace training, when we, we know when we're working with adult learners, they need to see it relevant. So it needs to be that it's their workplace and their kind of setting mm-hmm. that we are not trying to teach construction safety with examples from an office with air conditioned cubicles. Right. right. It's not going to be the same things. Context might even be that you said it with just photos or images or the kind of language that, you know, the how people speak to each other. That's all context. OK. The characters. The you said, you know, you, you talked about it in the hook, they the learners should see themselves in those characters, especially whoever your protagonist, your main character, mm-hmm. should have some commonalities with your learners. Usually that protagonist is going to be in a role that is at least similar to your learners, or is it, it's a role that they're familiar with, something that they see mm-hmm. that reflects their work and that has maybe some of the same characteristics. If you know that your learners are um, 
always feeling busy and they've got competing pressures, that that's a thing that maybe your character reflects. If you know that your learners tend to, you know, you're focusing on safety things. And so the learners are mostly 20 something young men and that's the audience that's most at risk for the safety training. So that's who you're gonna focus on. That's who your character is. Right. Um, so that's, that's part of it. Kind of the recipe behind, yeah. Yes, yeah. so that's our context and our characters. Characters, right. Which I will ask you about characters of, again. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to bring you back to that. Yeah. Right. We'll come, and we can come back. And there's, and you know, there's, there's more to do in all these. Right. Those characters face some sort of challenge. Okay. In, in a lot of fiction writing, we're talking, you know, we think of it, oh, there's a villain or a bad guy. Most of the time in our work things, there's not a villain. There's not a bad guy, but there is some sort of conflict. Mm-hmm. Frankly, the, the bad guy is often there's not enough time or not enough resources. That's that's the reality in our work, right? It's not right. that there's this is not an epic battle of good versus evil. Right. That's that's not the reality of our workplaces. It's mostly um, something in the environment or competing priorities. Exactly. Um, the challenge, ideally, is you know something that is. What are the challenges that your learners face? Mm-hmm. So you put your characters in those challenge and then have them do something. Have the learners make a decision to see what happens with that challenge. Got it. Consequences, especially if we're doing interactive scenarios, the consequence is what happens based on the decision that you made in that challenge. Right. Much of the e-learning we do does feedback. And let's face it, I have done lots of e-learning that says, sorry, that's incorrect. And and I have authentic feedback. Right. Without much specific feedback. Right. And even in traditional e-learning, we know we can do better than that for feedback. We can give more um, helpful feedback that tells people why something is wrong. In scenarios, we have an additional opportunity to show what happens. You're trying to talk to the customer and the customer gets angry. The customer decides to buy something cheaper. The customer agrees to make the sale or you're doing the safety training and something happens and somebody gets hurt or an alarm goes off or you know, you're know you're trying to fix a spreadsheet and something you you do your pivot table and all of a sudden things go weird you're trying to work in word and you move something in a word table and all of a sudden the document looks like a mess right that's a consequence of your decision the action that you took does something right right instead of just telling them what they did we can show the learners and that's part of the advantage of scenario and even if it's that hook where we tell people an example mm-hmm. where we're giving them something that is a, a passive example and they're not directly making it, you know, we're just trying to get their attention. We can still show that there was a challenge and a consequence. Good. So those awesome. are the, right. you, you, that's a framework. It's a powerful framework. It's a powerful framework with a lot of research is what I can see. So 
you know, I know it seems to a novice, it might seem very simplistic, but there's tons and tons of research that happens. And I want to dive deeper from two different perspectives. One is, you know, I know that in the traditional instructional design context, there's a gap analysis, the initial front end Mm -hmm. analysis that happens. So is there, so my question number one is, is there any gap analysis that you do? And if so, how do you do go about doing it? And then I, I do want to piggyback off your cat off of your characters, but I'm going to hold on to that question for a little bit. Okay. So the analysis. So I'm probably in a in a position where a lot of consultants are. Um, all of my work is remote. I'm almost never on site with a, a client. I work with a lot of different clients all over the country, and sometimes in in other places outside of the U.S. Sure. So I'm not on site seeing the tasks. So often my work does rely a lot on the SMEs or other stakeholders and doing those interviews. And so, you know, there's certainly the the interviews with those SMEs. I have sometimes been fortunate enough to get into the position where I can at least interview some learners or, or somebody who's learned it recently. You know, if you can get access to somebody who learned this task and the skill in the last six months, mm-hmm. they're a great resource besides just the SME. Right. Because SMEs have so much trouble remembering what it was like to be a novice. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and SMEs will have great stories and they know, you know, the things that don't come up very often, but maybe that you need to include in the training. Mm-hmm. And the people who are the newer learners will do that. We'll, we'll kind of remember more of that. They'll have a different set of stories. Right. A different perspective. So in an ideal world, I'll, I'll talk to both. Some of that's um, research. I do have, with SMEs, I, I take a an extremely long list of questions that is a a, a longer list of questions that I could possibly get done in one conversation. Mm-hmm. You will you will be familiar with this strategy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just like we started today with a longer list of questions than we're yeah. going to get through today. I have a really long list of questions for SMEs uh-huh. that when I'm interviewing them, especially for scenarios, that I have those questions available to prompt them mm-hmm. to talk about things. So it is getting them to talk about what they need the learners to do, mm-hmm. not just what they need to know, to talk about what the desired behavior looks like. Okay. You know, if we could take a video of this or a picture of it, what would it look like if they were doing it right? right. What would it sound like if they were doing it correctly? Mm. If they were doing this great, what does that look like? And what are they doing wrong right now? Where are the problems? What are the places where people get stuck? When they do it wrong, how do they do it wrong? Right. What's the consequence when they do it wrong? Lots of leading um, questions. What happens? Yeah. So, so through those conversations, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll gather that information of, okay, I know what the desired behavior is, and I know where the problem is, and that's that's that gap analysis. Right. It evolves more in a conversation and them telling me stories about what's happening at the work or trying to elicit some of those storytelling mm-hmm. things from the SMEs than necessarily the full traditional 
gap analysis spreadsheet. It's a little, it's somewhat closer to, there's elements of it that I've, I've used from Kathy Moore's action mapping um, in that kind of way. There's, you know, some of those questions come from, from some of the things that she's done or that Julie Dirksen has talked about mm -hmm. in her work. And, and a lot so of it comes in the format of anecdotes, right? They're, they're probably relating stories to you and you're kind of picking the, the problem, the resolution, the context from pieces of that. Um, right. The other piece that you talked about was characters, right? It should be relatable. So, you know, if I am a factory worker uh, facing a problem with a machine or my workflow and, and my character kind of is, is, is somebody who works in an office space, it's not going to resonate with my audience mm -hmm. that's sitting in a factory. So talk to me about how you go about designing your characters and personas and how do you make those relatable to the story itself? So the characters, I never, you know, if I do get those anecdotes from the SMEs or from the learners, mm -hmm. I never use exactly somebody's real, real character. You know, you always want to fictionalize it a little bit. Okay. So, you know, I try to use bits and pieces from a couple of different stories to synthesize it into something new. Mm -hmm. I do think that it can be helpful to create some sort of persona at the beginning that is who the learner is, but that persona is not the character. Okay. I do think about that and, and the persona and the, you know, the characters may share some attributes, mm -hmm. but that's not really the thing that I'm looking for. Okay. Um, so, so the character is, we've, we've figured out, okay, who's the audience? Who's the primary role that we're going for? Is it, you know, that 20 something, you know, 20, 20 something guy for the construction, for the, you know, contractor construction safety thing versus if we are doing something for instructional designers, I'm probably going to have a woman who is a former teacher and transitioned from some other field, because frankly, that's probably my audience if I'm training instructional designers. Right. Right. Or, you know, accountants who have a background. Um, I also do think about in my characters, uh, balancing, you know, having, having diversity in those characters. Some of the courses I do will have two characters talking back and forth. Okay. Um, where it's all kind of dialogue. There, the learner might be listening and be more passive, you know, listen to that and then have the occasional activity. I have several courses that I've done that in that kind of format. And so I tend to, in those, have one character who is learning, who is new to this job, who is learning all the skills, and then the other one who's sort of the mentor. I, see. I usually then try to have the mentor character or the manager or the boss be a woman and the person learning be a man. And unless I'm doing multiple courses where I will then flip that. Okay. But as that, you know, push towards diversity, reflecting the environment, 
plus a little bit aspirational. Okay. Right. You know, I do look at the, look at the names of characters and look at that racial equity. So there's, that's also part of defining those characters Mm -hmm. um, that you, you look at the workplace and then put in the diversity that they're aspiring to. Right. It doesn't have to be all Um, or none. And it's definitely not utopia either. Right. It's not utopia. Yes. Um, And it's, but, but that, that tends to, that's, you know, that's a consideration in creating those characters. Right. Um, And it, you know, when, when we're creating scenarios for training, mm-hmm. I know, I do know some instructional designers who do significant character background write-ups and really like do a lot of that background work. Mm-hmm. I generally do not. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. If I was writing a novel, right? then yes, I would do some of that. And, but most of the time we're doing shorter things we might have some notes about it, but it's it's going to be a one-page thing with some notes. The, right. the only time I've done more elaborate has been in one where we were doing a series of modules. There were the main two characters talking back and forth, mm-hmm. and they were coming back. This was multiple hours worth of e-learning, you know, multiple modules really spread out over two courses. Right. I had to be have character continuity with this previous thing that somebody else had designed and then they had little vignettes where these two characters were helping out certain people who were profiled but those people also came back at different points in their in their careers okay and so there were in fact character details that we had to keep track of so there I did in fact have okay yes this person came from this city and here's their here's their partner's name because it did get mentioned in a previous course so so we did actually have continuity questions in that one Mm -hmm. but that's an unusual thing most of the time most of the time we really don't need to do that kind of level um especially if you're just getting started right you know I think that's Part of this too of if, it, if that feels super overwhelming, don't right. do it. Right. Start start with small scenarios, right. and then as you build your skills, then you're gonna build more of that and figure out how much of that do you need to have written versus how much of that do you just kind of keep in your head and make up as you go along. Right, right, and and I think you've also provided the context for it, right? If it's an elaborate curriculum, then yes, it justifies making that persona to go with it. But if it is just a five question assessment or a mini scenario that you're designing, then then there's you can't justify the research time with the design time that's going into that module. So so thank you for right. providing that context. So tell me, are there are there different types of scenario based learning? Are there different types of storytelling? And and I'm I'm using storytelling and scenario based as synonyms and I know they're not. Um, but are there any different ty- different types? Can you tell me about a few of them? Sure. So I think um, we've we've somewhat you know kind of touched on this, but I I will look at this from well let's start from sort of a on a continuum from things where the learners are more passive to where the learners are more active. Okay. So we can start at the most passive as sort of provided examples and the example stories. When I was a classroom trainer and a teacher. 
I would tell little stories and give little examples and that would have either get people's attention or prove some point um, about, hey, this is why this is important. That is a story. I'll put it broadly under the umbrella of scenario-based learning, but that's at that passive side of things. Okay. Then we might have something that is maybe the mini scenarios where where I do those, you know, it's a short scenario. We know probably nothing about the character other than a name, you know, and, and a role, you know, or, or two characters. And I've used, you know, I use my, there's several name generator sites. And so I come up with names to reflect, again, reflecting that diversity. Right. Um, so, you know, we have those mini characters, but it's one question. Okay. So they're, what they're going to answer is probably one multiple choice question. I see. It's some interaction. It's, it's certainly better than many of our traditional multiple choice questions that are very abstract mm -hmm. rather than, and, and a lot of traditional multiple choice can do more shallow you know, you're you're really checking, do they remember the thing we talked about five minutes ago? Not, if I put you in a situation, can you make a decision, right? We're measuring a higher level thinking skill. So there's, right. there's, there's some interactivity there. I have done training, like I talked about with two people talking back and forth. Mm -hmm. And usually that is that there's, a long chunk of time where they're talking and then it'll pause every so often to have some sort of activity of, okay, now here's the situation that they're working on. What should they do? Here's the form they're filling out. How would you do that? Or how would you analyze this? So we'll, we'll listen to them talking for a while and thinking through things and then pause to do it. That's a little bit bigger structure. We'd probably have a series of multiple related interactivity questions so then that gets to be maybe a little bit more interactive than the, the one-off question. Mm -hmm. We can have case studies where we're doing, again, maybe a longer, you know, there's a little bit more background of a story and then some analysis of some story. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen some of those done well in, in e-learning. Okay. We can do branching scenarios, which is if you read the choose your own adventure books, mm -hmm. as many of us did growing up, it is like that. It is um, also in many respects, like in a lot of video games where you meet that NPC, that non-player character in the game, mm -hmm. and it says, well, what do you want to say to them? And you have three choices about what you say, and then the conversation continues from there. That structure is a branching structure in a lot of games. There's, I see. Um, so it's similar to that. And I've done um, various types of branching and interactive stories that way. There are at the very interactive, there are higher end simulations, more complex, you know, serious games where we can do 
some of those things in e-learning. Mm -hmm. At the very most active end, mm -hmm. I have only seen this done in higher ed. I don't know of anybody who's done it in workplace training, but is learner-generated stories. And I have seen that in some university contexts where they wrote stories about somebody's journey and the learners actually created stories and shared them. Oh, wow. Um, I haven't seen a spot where that fits for most workplace training. Um, I, I always kind of keep that in mind as a, as a something that could be there, but, yes. but so really we have that whole range from it's a the little short, yeah. right. Little short example to make a point to high end scenarios, simulations, um, it would be the role plays in a, if you were doing a face-to-face -face training or a mm -hmm. VILT environment. Right, right. And you did bring in at the extreme end of the spectrum, you talked about gamification. Right. Tell me, tell me to what extent is storytelling or scenario-based learning gamification friendly? Is it possible or is it a complete no-no? So with Gamification, we often think of it in terms of um, points, badges, and leaderboards, mm -hmm. right? That's sort of the classic, you know, what are people looking at? Yeah. Um, and so I think all of those can be done, especially in the scenario-based things. Um, I did, and I have done a, a few examples where we do, in fact, do in a branching scenario, which is already a little bit closer to a game where each choice you make gets a certain score and then you get a feedback message based on that total score. And that is already, and, and you could show points in that way to make it more gamified mm -hmm. um, and do the badge. You know, if you wanted to then put that into badges and, and put it in a system where there's, where there's leaderboards. I have seen some of that done, right? There are some of those, gamified things often have some sort of story wrapper around it. I see. Um, the other thing, however, if you look at Carl Kopp's work on games for learning, mm -hmm. he talks about how a lot of that gamification is the most shallow, you know, the points, badges, and leaderboards is the most shallow version of it. The things that make amazing video games amazing mm -hmm. is not the points. It's the narrative. Really great video games have amazing stories in them. Mm -hmm. They have characters. They have conversations. They have emotional connection. They have challenges. They have consequences for your decisions. And that's where the good storytelling design element comes in. Correct. Right. And, and narrative itself is a game element mm -hmm. that we can then include. And, and so I, I take from, from Carl's work mm -hmm. where, where narrative is a game element that then we can use. Anything we do with the stories then can lead us a little closer to leveraging that game element. Mm -hmm. It is not the traditional way that people talk about gamification, but it's Carl's way. So I'm going to, so <laughs> <laughs> <It sells. laughs> we'll, we'll follow that. If you have, if you, I mean, I, can pull it, I think I've 
have maybe one of those books on my shelf over here I could go yes, yes, yes. Um, um so yeah so that's that's what it is um in the game I also context. yeah yeah in terms of the context in terms of specifically in terms of tools mm -hmm. I've been doing a fair amount of work recently with twine which is an open source tool for creating interactive fiction and games oh, wow. and and it is a tool that is used mostly for telling essentially like those choose your own adventure type stories or for making games um there's a lot of indie developers kind of working on creating games where you can have characters and points and do that within that tool um and so using that tool that comes from outside of L&D, mm -hmm. I think already somewhat sets me up to be able to do some of this nonlinear thing. Um, when your tool by default is really designed for linear content, it's always gonna be harder to do something with that richer story where you do things and then stuff happens and you have to deal with those consequences or the the effects of your action. You don't see the cause and effect right. in right. a lot of the training that we do. So you, you mentioned Twine. Are there any mm -hmm. other um, tools that you would recommend for designing story-based, scenario-based learning? Twine is my, my, my big one. Um, I do know a fair number of people like the tool Miro, M-I-R-O. Yes, I've heard of it, yeah. Um, especially if you do a collaborative environment and you're trying to plan out um, sort of flow charts and things. I think Miro can also be used for some of that analysis where we were talking about, you know, the, the gap analysis and trying to figure out and collect information. It can be a good tool for that part of the process. Mm -hmm. If you get past what twine can do in terms of complexity where you're really trying to do lots of simulated dialogue but you're also keeping track of variables and points and maybe items that people have picked up or or things like that mm -hmm. there's another tool called chat mapper mm. that is designed for planning conversations for games right. um and that does have a little bit does have some other options to help you keep track of things um, but that one's a paid tool rather than Twine, which is open source and free. Right. And, and is enough for, I think, most people. Um, Twine's big drawback is not being as collaborative. And if you do lots of things in a team and you really need to be doing lots truly collaborative, not just one person does it and you do reviews. Mm -hmm. If you're doing collaborative, Miro is probably the tool I would look at. Thank um, you for bringing up these tools, because I think yeah. a lot of us, when we are thinking of design, we are kind of stuck to storyline and Captivate and, and the traditional sources, uh, the, the sources of software that we tend to use with a little bit of sprinkle of video scribe and beyond on it. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to to ask you this question and you could um, guide and, me. And and I use, you know, all of those are good tools, right? right. Like there's nothing, I, I use Vyond, I'm doing some Vyond stuff. You know, if you're 
if you're showing a story and you're trying to get people's attention, Beyond is a great tool for that. Right. Um, I have certainly also done things where I've built my prototype in Twine, but built the final finished product in Storyline or in Rise. Right. Um, so Rise it has, also, doesn't have Rise to be is, an all or none is what you're right. trying to say. It can be el best elements of whichever tool works for your not scenario, but your learning. Right, your situation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I know, so there's, you know, there's so much that happens, you know, when, so I had somebody um, in a car dealership ask me, what do you do for work? And instructional design is typically so hard to, to describe, right, as a profession. And I said, you know what, when you, when you were hired, you took, some training videos, right? You you did some sort of training. I'm the one who's behind those that training. Now that's a very, very simplistic view of design, right? But you kind of lifted the curtain and said, okay, no, there's a lot of gap analysis that goes on, but there's another piece of the puzzle which is called project management to it. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's an entire can of worms that we can have another hour worth of discussion. Give me like the five second synopsis of what kind of project management goes into story designing storytelling and scenario-based learning. So I think in terms of the, the project management, uh, especially with branching scenarios, the, the big things would be having very clear expectations right at the beginning. Um, well, that may not be a formal pro written project charter, mm -hmm. um, but at least getting the expectations and making sure that everybody understands what that scenario is going to look like. Mm -hmm. If your clients or your stakeholders aren't used to doing scenario-based learning, getting to some sort of prototype early in the process so that they can see how this works is really important. I find with nonlinear content, the biggest problem is always the reviews. I mean, this is this is true of all e-learning, right? right? If it goes off the rails, it's probably not in, you know, creating the storyboard. It's in the review. Right. And that's especially true when we're talking about scenarios and stories and even more so when it's not linear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is just trickier to review. Um, so planning your process to include some prototyping, to include some structured reviews. I will say that this is also part of where Twine helps because you can get a text-based but functional scenario. Essentially, you have the text of it and you have clickable links to make each choice and you can build that fast. Mm. And SMEs and reviewers who could not understand it when it was a Word document or a PowerPoint slide that said, okay, if you make this choice, go to slide 15. Right. I've never had good luck getting SMEs to review those consistently. Uh, like they, they just get lost. In a Word document, right. And it's in, keep, in it's a Word document. Yeah. Right. Can, can I make links to do things in Word, internal links? Yes, I can. It is... I can do it in half the time in Twine. Right. So therefore, and, and it makes more sense. And, and I've gotten, it, it is easier that way. Mm -hmm. But getting those reviews from people and getting some sign-offs that like, this is what we're going to do. This is how much we're going to 
change at any given time or um or or adjusting the scope again that's again part of why i like twine because it is easier to make changes so if i realize that we've done something wrong in the branching mm -hmm. and we really do need to significantly change the structure of how that story works that is easier to do in twine um, oh, I guess the, the other tool I didn't mention would be branch track, okay. which does do, um, which is designed specifically for scenario-based learning and branching scenarios. You can do both the kind of planning that I do in Twine and building out the sort of finished product Interesting. in branch track. That's another wow. Uh, tool. Wow. If you're doing lots of this work, that's another one to consider. Awesome, awesome. Christy, thank you for taking the time to share all this wealth on storytelling and scenario-based. I would love to have you come back on project management at some point, uh, but thank you for speaking with me this afternoon. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.